Good evening. Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to see you all. Um, first, um, I'd like to thank Henry Abacera for dedicating and sponsoring tonight's class. A very big thank you to him and uh, lots and lots of blessings to him and to his family. Remind everyone that the uh, primary source of uh, funding for the center comes from these sponsorships. So it is very, very, very much appreciated for those who can sponsor classes so that we can continue doing our work and shine a lot of light onto the community, hopefully with Hashem's help. Um, welcome back to round two of you versus yourself. Um, the, what, we're, what we have been discussing in the last class is the human condition, which can at times be very bothersome and quite annoying. The constant fluctuations and the extremities that we all experience. Sometimes I feel so holy and sometimes I feel so lowly. Who am I? Am I crazy? Is this supposed to be this way? This, this can be, become very, 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 very upsetting. Now, um, briefly we mentioned last week in last class that a human being is extremely complex. And Jews are even more complex. And that is that our, our, our psychological makeup is made up from two distinct souls. Two distinct beings living inside of us. We have a lower soul, a dark consciousness, and we have a higher soul, a godly consciousness, a luminous con consciousness. And these two live side by side within us. And at times we're experiencing the world, we're experiencing reality through the lens of our of our lower consciousness, of our animal soul. And uh, that's why we experience such, such darkness. And at times, there is a moment when the inner human being, the higher self, emerges. And we, ex and we experience reality from that higher, godlier place. And we see the world in, 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 in its full godly glory. And, so, and, that, and that, that is where, where it's at, a constant change. It's much more than inclination. It's two distinct souls, two different beings, and they're both trying to occupy our, our focus. They're both trying to enter into our consciousness. At times, again, one emerges, and at times the other emerges. Now, to become, to get a, a, a better understanding of our animal consciousness, where it's coming from, what it's all about. So we mentioned last week that it's, 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 it's coming from a complete different world of where our neshama, where our soul comes from. It comes from a place of klipa, a place of, a place of shells that conceal and obscure godliness. But to understand that a little better, what does that mean? And how and what kind of experience results from that, 
So if we can imagine something like this. Imagine you were a great scientist. And you were working on a magnificent project. You were trying to discover a new source of energy. A kind of energy that is so powerful and so strong, it's going to make nuclear energy look like, like nothing. And it's something that you believe and you know that it's within nature, but it has never been discovered, it has never been unleashed. But it's there. And you're doing scientific uh, experiments and the like in order to uncover this, this power. If this power is revealed and utilized in the proper manner, in the right way, it, can, it will revolutionize the world and it can bring so much goodness, so much unbelievable light and good to the world. Uh, it can be used, first of all, to enhance technology and communication, open up a whole new method and a whole new manner of communication. It can, have, it can be used for medicine, for healing and the like. It can be used, uh, it will eliminate the need for all other kinds of uh, fuel which pollute the air. And people will, and this will be the, the source of energy, and the world will be completely clean and unpolluted, and the like. This is a massive discovery. And you have, but in order to, to work on this project, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it takes a lot of work, and you have the multi-billion dollar project. So many people, you have investors, and they've invested in this, and you're working on this. In order to be able to do your scientific research, it involves certain experiments that are very, very intense and would be too dangerous for a, for a person to be doing. So you need to create, you need to have a robot that will do these various, or robots that will do these experiments. A hum, but the robot can't be just a regular robot. The robot has to be something, a state-of-the-art robot, something, the likes that has never been seen before. And um, so, you have the engineers, top engineers in the world, who build this magnificent robot. A robot that, that, that looks like a human being, acts human, everything it does is like a, like a human being. You wouldn't be able to tell from the outside. But it's this great human machine. Now, um, all right, but you have a fear. The fear is that people would want to get a hold of this robot because of its incredible power of what it can do. And you're afraid, first of all, you don't want to lose it. Secondly, you don't know what people might do with this, with this robot. They can use it for, for very bad things. Terrorists might use it or whatever. So what you, in order to protect yourself, you've come up with this way of, of, of watching this robot is as follows. Is that the way the robot operates is, in order for the robot to to do its thing, or even just to be, you have this device, a remote control device, with a button. You push the button down, and lo and behold, the most amazing thing, the robot emerges into, into beingness, okay, into existence. You leave go of that button, and the robot evaporates, it disappears. So it's, you have full control over its existence, over, being, of it, over, over, over its being, because it can only be there when you are pushing that button. And of course, this thing has a code, so anybody that steals that remote control couldn't do anything with it, and you're the only one who can do it. So you push that button, and you get this robot to, 
to exist. All right, so here you are with your great robot, and you're on one of the days, one morning or one afternoon, and you're going to your lab to, for an experiment. Now, in order not to be bored on the way, so instead of pushing the button once you're in the lab and creating the robot in the lab, you decide to have some company on the walk there. So you're walking with this robot. Or maybe you wanted to, I guess, discuss the various different experiments and what you're going to do, because you can talk to the robot. You don't even have to uh, you know, talk to him and he understands. Okay, so you're walking with the robot and you have your, your button pushed, of course, so you have your robot, walking down the street, and you got a little distracted in the middle. Something caught your attention, you looked away, and you turn around and suddenly the robot is gone. It's not there. Like you quickly look at your remote control to see, and you see your, bu your button, you know your finger is on the, on the button. You've been pushing the robot, you push the button, the, the robot should be here. But the robot isn't here. So you panic. Say, what could have happened? Someone grabbed the robot, what? it has been kidnapped, it has been taken away. What happened? So you're thinking instantly you want to leave go. But something inside of you doesn't let you leave go. So you're holding this button, and you're wondering where could he have gone? So you start retracing your steps, going back. And as you're walking down to the corner, there is a deli at the corner. And from the corner of the eye, you pick up this robot sitting at one of the tables, and the, wait and the waitress is coming and putting down a tray with a delicious pastrami sandwich. Juicy pastrami sandwich. It smells all the way out the door. And he's got a little thing of fries, and you see him pouring ketchup, got himself a can of Coke, and you're, you're shocked. You don't know what to make out of this. So you meanwhile, you're still holding on to this thing. You go inside, and let's say we call you, your, 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 your name for your robot is Mickey. You say, Mickey, what's this? He says, um, lunch. So you say, lunch? He says, yeah, I'm starving. I'm hungry. So you say, you're hungry? He says, yeah, I'm hungry. And I walked by and it smelled so good. This pastrami is amazing. I couldn't resist it. So I came inside to have pastrami. You want some? Have some with me. So you say, pastrami? He says, I love pastrami. Pickles? He says, pickles is the best with pastrami. So you're looking and you're, you're, you're shocked. And you say to the robot, you say, I just don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. Do you realize that you don't exist? You don't, you don't have any beingness? You exist? See, if I leave go of this button, I obliterate you. Not only do I obliterate you out of your present existence, you have no history. You, you, you are so obliterated as if you never existed. There is no record. That's the way, that's how much you can undo it by leaving go of that button. You're deleted from all of the memory of all of existence. Okay? Now, now, and, and again, I, I have you, and I created you just 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you didn't, 15 minutes ago, you didn't exist. Now, I am making you, and I am bringing you to do what we need to do. That's why you exist. So that you can help me do what, whatever we need to do in, in the lab. Now, if you need, if you're hungry, or if you need 
uh, energy life or whatever, either I plug you in to recharge or I just recreate you, leave go and recreate you, so you're around. What do you mean you're hungry? Right? Now, if we can imagine similar to that or more, more relatable to us, if you're a, a writer and you're an author and you create and you write books, so you're writing about different um, characters and let's say you're a children's writer. So you're writing a book and you create the character. So let's say you're the one who discovered Winnie the Pooh. You invented Winnie the Pooh. But Winnie the Pooh doesn't exist yet in any stores, in any books. Because Winnie the Pooh is a product of your mind. You haven't yet illustrated her. You haven't yet, but you can already, you have already, you know the character. You know his voice and you know his movements. Everything about him, because you're creating, you've created Winnie the Pooh. So you, in your story, you're directing Winnie the Pooh into all, wherever, wherever it goes. So here Winnie the Pooh is going to the right, here Winnie the Pooh is going to the left, here Winnie the Pooh does this, and Winnie the Pooh does that, and so forth. Now perhaps imagine something like this, where at a certain point, Winnie the Pooh stops listening to you. And it starts going off doing its own thing. And you're screaming, Winnie, get back here! Winnie doesn't want to listen to you. In your mind, Winnie is running away from your control. So when you want him to go, to go up the hill, he goes down the hill, he wants to swing on the branch, he's running away, doing other things, whatever he's doing. And right, it's an absurdity, it's impossible. Because you're the one, in other words, he's only existing because you're thinking him into existence. There is no Winnie. Winnie is only there because I am making you be. But that's the absurdity. Welcome to our animal soul. That's the craziness of the consciousness that we live in called animal consciousness. It's a distorted consciousness. It's really something that makes no sense, but that's just the reality that most of us live in almost all the time. And that is as what? God is the master of the universe. Not only is God the master of the universe, God created the world, not that he created it, he continuously creates and thinks the world into existence. We are all divine thoughts or godly words that he is continuously speaking into existence. Our entire beingness comes from him because God is the essence of life. And everything that exists is a flow of life. God is, is, that's what he is, is. He is the, is, is the isness of everything, the beingness of everything. So if something exists, it's because God extended his existence, his godly energy into that being to give it life, to give it existence. Why did God do that? For some divine purpose. Every creation that is created is created for a purpose. That purpose is for the great world that's going to be in the days of Mashiach, when light is going to pervade all of reality, when all of creation is going to be in a constant state of, of in a relationship with Hashem. That was God's intention when he created the world. Every creation is created to contribute to that ultimate goal. Every moment of every creation is, is created for that purpose. Right? So really, if we were to be in touch with that truth, then every single moment of our existence, every moment of our being, would be devoted and dedicated to serving something that's bigger than ourselves something higher than ourselves.
How can we walk around and parade and say, I like pastrami, I like this, I want lunch, I want, I need, give me that and give me that. That's coming from a distortion. A distortion that all humanity and all creatures and beings that are living under the sun live in this darkness. And that is a distorted reality because the divine light that's creating us miraculously isn't felt within its consequential creations. We don't feel how we are continuously thought into existence by God. So if we don't see that creative life force, instead we feel ourselves, and here is where unholiness begins. Unholiness begins with just a sense of independent beingness that is not devoted to something higher. Angels in heaven, for instance, we all know are holy. They're holy and they cry holy, holy, holy all day long. What do angels do in heaven? One of the two things. Either angels are singing to God and they're praising Him, or angels are on a divine mission. One of the two. Either they're, doing, they're running an errand for God, they're doing something, or they're singing to Him because that's what angels are supposed to do. You will never find an angel sitting in coffee bean, sipping coffee, smoking a cigarette, or checking their email, or just in conversation, just because, I don't know, I'm just relaxing. There is no such a thing. Why is there no such a thing? Because if you're living in consciousness of truth, that your entire being is now being created at this very moment to serve something beyond yourself, it's not possible to do anything but to serve your source. It doesn't even come into their thought. Not even a possibility. We, however, because we're created in the manner we are created, there is this shell, there is this block. That's what we call klipa. Klipa are the shells which filter God's light. Angels too, their energy is also filtered. But the filtration of the divinity, of the godly light that comes, manifests itself in the world of angels is a very, very, very small filter. Meaning it's not filtering a lot of the light. A little bit. And enables those angels to exist and not to burn up in God's infinite light. So it filters the light a little bit. But as the, as the divine progressive life force progresses lower and lower and lower and lower into the world to create the world, the filters and the, and the, and the screenings are thicker and thicker, blocking more and more light until it results in our world with creations and beings that don't feel at all that there is a source creating them. And instead, if there is no source, then there is me. Then I exist because I, because I am. That's it. That's... That's the darkness of the animal soul. So this is very, very important to understand. Because the conflict of a lower self and a higher self is not necessarily a conflict of, 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 of sinfulness, of gross, uh, unholy cravings and desires. That too. But that's not the, the condition of the two selves that we're talking about. It's not a fight between doing a mitzvah and doing who knows what kind of sin. The, 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 the conflict, the struggle that there is, and the two types of awarenesses that we have is either a holy awareness. Holy awareness is the holiness of our soul. Why is the soul holy? Because the soul is living above the clouds. It's living, you know, today, it was, we haven't seen the sun in a long time. And I looked out at about four o'clock, so that side it was very, very dark. With, and on that side, it was nice blue sky. And then I realized that, you know, when it's raining for the past week and it's been so dark, that's only just in the lower atmosphere. 
Above that, it was bright and sunny and beautiful all the time. Right? So not every part of us is living beneath the clouds. Our animal consciousness is a product, is a result from under the clouds, under the darkness. We have a higher consciousness, a higher soul, and that soul perceives truth. It's a soul of truth. It sees how everything relates to God. All of existence emanates from God, and therefore it experiences a self that is devoted to God. The nishama, what is the definition of a soul? A soul is a being who every moment of his existence is saying what Avram Avinu said to God. Hineni, I am here to serve you. What now, God? Every moment is dedicated to something beyond himself. The animal soul is a consciousness of self. It's selfish. It, know, it knows only of itself. That's its, that's it. Meaning these two souls are different not only in, its, in their cravings, desires, and wants. Their very sense of reality is different. One sees God as everything, and everything must be connected to God, and all of its experiences, therefore, are naturally associate with God, and the other soul has a blockage, doesn't see that, and instead is living in the Winnie Mickey consciousness that we spoke about before, one that is a distortion, one that is a lie. So the unholiness is a lie. Now it's not, again, it's not bad, and it's not evil, or else we would all be evil people. Because when we're talking about this unholiness, well, we have to get very comfortable with certain terminology. When we, especially when we start learning Tanya, we have to get comfortable with it. When we say unholy, I just want you to think of something like this. It's not holy. Not unholy, devilish, dark, ugly, with all kinds of disgusting things coming out of it. No, it's just not holy. So, simple question. Okay? One day... You go out, talk about Starbucks. You go out with a friend in the afternoon, and you have coffee. And you're talking, you're chatting, not doing anything bad, not talking lush and hara, not saying anything gossip. You're just having a normal friendship conversation. Okay, so let's, look, let's just analyze the situation. You're sipping coffee, and you're in Starbucks. Who prompted you to go there? Where did it come from? Is this an activity that was generated by the higher consciousness, by your soul? Or was this an activity that was generated? Someone prompted you, because before this you were in the house washing dishes, sitting in your, in your, in your, on, on your recliner, doing whatever you were doing. Suddenly, you're in Starbucks. So there was an energy, something got you motivated to go look for your shoes, get your keys, go into the car, go and sit down and get... So these were a bunch of things that you did. Someone pushed you to do this. Someone had an interest, right? So there was an I, I want to do this, okay? Let's understand one simple question. Is it coming from your godly soul or is it coming from the animal consciousness? Now, let's see. Is there what is some is is this activity taking God into consideration? That's the question. Is God now being considered? Now, if you just went to Starbucks because it's a nice morning, it's nice to sit in Starbucks, you like coffee, and you like spending time with friends, and it's nice and wonderful. It, this whole experience begins under the clouds. It begins in a reality where you can possibly do things that are not considering God. Because the truth of truth, the way Hashem is seeing is, is that at this, this is company time. It's like, you, it's like using the phone or using whatever when you're working for somewhere and you're using it for your own thing and not in a, you're employed. Every second you're employed. Because God is employing us every second for something divine. But at this moment you've taken a recess. I'm not bad because... 
it's not our fault that we do this. But this is just the, the, the reality that we live in. So you're, 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 when you're in midst of that conversation and that for those two hours, nothing godly is being considered. So therefore, it's coming from the lower consciousness. Now, it's possible that it's not the case. It's possible that this is a friend who needs your help and you're, they, they, and you're doing them a very, very big favor of spending time and talking with them. This is good for them. And you're doing it because you know Hashem wants you to help people and be nice to people. So you're doing this so that you can help a human being. Then it's godly. Then it's coming from your soul. It doesn't have to be that. It can be that you're just sitting and the conversation is you're meeting about something, about a mitzvah. You're meeting about doing something good for the world, something that Hashem wants. So then there is a godly element and then it's holy. Then it was your soul that wants to do godly things that brought you into that situation. If not, for it coming from the soul, then it's coming from, again, not an ugly place, but a non-holy place. Now here's a very, very interesting thing. That non-holy place, which is, again, which is the source, again, of, that's our darkness, is actually what makes us so special and what makes us so attractive in God's eyes. And as precisely as we can start saying, yuck, that's horrible. The very dark consciousness of living in that distortion and in that lie, that is, it's precisely because of that that we are so attractive to God. Because the nature is that we want something that we can't have. Human nature, right? Whatever we have, whatever is ours, we're not really that interested in. We always want what's not ours, what we can't have. God is the same. He wants what He can't have. In all the heavens above, there is full of light. They're all robots. Everybody is, his, the truth is everywhere. So everybody is in submission to him. There's one place that God sort of, is the Winnie the Pooh world, where God left go. He let a world go where he's not in control. He's really in control, but there is a great place where he leaves go. And that's why he so desperately wants it. So what makes us special is precisely that dark space within us that doesn't know God, that naturally wants to rebel, or naturally not even wants to rebel, is just living, just being itself. That's the place that God wants the most. That's why, that's our whole purpose in life, to have a dark space and to bring a little light into that darkness. By doing what? By accessing our godly soul. Accessing our God. How do we access our godly soul? Two ways. Sometimes our godly soul emerges spontaneously. We wake up in the morning and suddenly, I don't know, there is, a, there is this, this, just something beautiful going on. Suddenly, even though we have problems, and even we, we can see the Hashgacha Pratis, that Hashem, divine providence, that Hashem is the one running my life, and I don't have any fears, and I don't have any anxiety, because I know everything's going to be good, because Hashem is taking care of me. And I know that, every, that, I'm, that I, that I, I want to go daven, and I want to go learn, and I want to do mitzvahs, and I feel so purposeful. See, that, that's the idea. You feel a sense of purpose. That every, and it can be for a while, right? Or either it comes spontaneously, rarely, or it's something that we, can, we, we have to work on drawing it out. We draw it out by concentrating, by seeking that deeper self. In prayer, that's mainly what prayer is about. Prayer davening is a time, an exercise of getting in touch with that higher, higher self and revealing that in, in, in our minds. But, again, going back, most of the activity that we do, most of the things that we're doing, you know, you're eating um, chips. 
bag of chips, kosher, nothing wrong. It's really nothing wrong. It's kosher yeah. chips. But you say, eh, okay, so that's, say, okay, but you know what? It's chips. You don't eat chips. It's not good for your weight, not good for your health. Okay, so what happens if you're eating salad and you're eating a healthy salad? Well, why are you eating the healthy salad? Why? At this moment, why? At this moment, is God pervading your consciousness? No, because I'm eating because I want to be, I want to live. Why do I want to live? Because I want to live. Because I like living. That's not holy. Yeah, not bad. Just not holy. You're exercising because you want to be fit. Why? That's not holy. What's holy about it? Why is it holy because someone is exercising? What is holy about putting on makeup and making yourself beautiful? Is that bad? Not bad. Is that holy? Why is that holy? It could be holy. Again, if you add a, divin a, a godly intention to it, it could be holy. These are things that could be made holy if we inject our godly consciousness into it. But in it of itself, it isn't holy. Now, the, the, uh, this, this actually gives great understanding to what we had discussed last week. Last week we had mentioned that there are three types of personalities. There are people who are called tzaddikim. And tzaddikim are uh, righteous people, saintly people. And according to the Tanya, he raises the tzaddik to a very, very high place. The tzaddik is a person who never, ever commits a sin. Never. Now, not even once, a little sin. Never. <coughs> not only doesn't he do any sin, he doesn't even have an appetite for sin. He doesn't want to do a sin. It's not even interesting. It's not appealing to him. All he does is always good, holy things, good things. Then we have an intermediate person who is, doesn't sin, according to the Tanya. The intermediate fellow is also a person who generally we would look as a massive tzaddik. Someone who doesn't sin, but he does struggle with the darkness because he has, he has urges, appetites, cravings that are not necessarily coming, they're not godly, and sometimes even sinful. And, but he struggles with them. He doesn't allow those urges to manifest, to become actualized. And he ends up always doing what's right. Okay? Then we have what we call a Russia. Now this is also very important. We must take this darkness, this evil association out of Russia if we're going to learn Tanya. Because or else we're going to get very depressed. So let's understand something. Rush over here is not evil. Rush just means, especially in, in Russia, means someone who's weak and has not managed to get above the clouds all day long. So someone who hovers below the clouds quite often. That's Russia. For, for us, it's in today, meaning especially people in, in, our, in our world, it's okay to be Russia. Why is it okay to be Russia? It's okay to be Russia because it's normal human beings. Normal human beings are in a world where we have a struggle, and but, what, but let's understand something. I'm going back. Go back for a minute for the tzaddik. The tzaddik. Here you have this person who is a tzaddik, and we said a tzaddik never sins, never does anything wrong. How is that possible? Is he always fighting, always overcoming, always doing the right thing? It's impossible. How he can let go of his vigilance even for one second? But the answer, based on what we said now, you have two souls. Two souls. If you can imagine, if you take that egotistical soul out of your consciousness, as opposed, it doesn't exist anymore. There is no, that whole realm of awareness of a self that is unrelated to God is not there. And the only soul operating, the only I, the only consciousness is a godly consciousness. So then naturally one wouldn't sin. How could you sin? You know, like there was a great chassid his name was Rabbi Yekusil Liepler. He was a student of the Tanya. And uh, you know, later in Tanya, as we're going to dissect the souls a little better as we go on, uh, he, the Tanya explains how the godly soul resides in the brain, primarily, in the intellect. 
and also in the heart, meaning in the emotions. But in the right side of the heart. The animal soul is on the left side of the heart. Like this equivalent to what the sages say, that the Yetzirah is on the left side of the heart. So he came into the Tanya one day and he says, Rebbe, hakam it up the linkazite. Rebbe, chop off the left side. I don't want the left side. Please chop it off. I don't want the left. Get rid of that left side for me. A tzaddik does that. A tzaddik got rid himself from that distorted soul. So he's always living every moment in truth. From the perspective of the world that the tzaddik perceives, he sees God as the essence of life and the essence of existence. God is the nucleus of everything. And therefore, everything in his life is naturally godly. There isn't, the reason he's not sinning is not because he's overcoming a desire. It doesn't even exist in his world to do something that is unrelated to divinity, to a godly mission. The Bainani, the average person, is someone who's living in mixed consciousness. He's living in this, in this world where there is both these consciousness. And sometimes he has clarity. A lot of other times he's living in a state of, with a, a godless state of, of awareness where he feels himself, he is him or herself very strongly. Coming along with that, sometimes are appetites that are not kosher, and he feels it. It's only that he always overpowers it. He's managed to take, he's managed, see the Bainani is the person who manages to right away become, he has his, his, his sensitivity is very sharp, and he recognizes immediately when dark consciousness starts pervading his mind and his heart, and he fights it instantly. Other people don't maybe notice it immediately. You know, I'm just, this is a, this is a, a class of, of human condition. So, you know, for myself, the, this, this fluctuation, this change, I mean, I guess if you, if you learn Hasidus, if you learn Tanya, and you're familiar with the concept, and you learn it many times, you start to really, you can really see this happening. You can see this in the course of the day, how there is a transformation taking place, a different human being. It's not different cravings, different desires. It's a whole different I, it's a whole different person. As I can wake up some mornings, and it's just, and there's such light, such light. Meaning I know, yeah, I'm Ruvain Wolf, I have a Hasidic center, and I have to, and I, I'm like, no matter what I have to do, I have to spread Hasidic, I have to give classes, and I have to teach, and I have to get CDs wherever I can, and get it to more people, and to teach, and, and I have problems, problems, I don't know how I'm gonna cover the bills, God is gonna take care, I don't have no fears, no insecurities, I know even though this is huge, massive, um, nah, everything is good. And I'm completely devoted to that, okay? And then as the day wears off, three o'clock. Again, you don't notice it during the day, but when I look at myself at nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night, it's a whole different person. It's a whole different person with a complete different set of cravings and wants and desires. That it, it, and it's unrecognizable. It's not the same human being. And it's a wonder, like, like, like a howling wolf. Instead of, and a, who, who is this? But that's, that's the way it is. It's all, we're all that way. Sometimes by many of us, it's, it can be, you can see it from the day, from the morning. See, generally mornings are a time when soul consciousness is more accessible. Because the world is bright. So we have more act. That's why it's a time of davening. It's a time that we should meditate. Because it's, it's in the ear. God is not so shrouded and he's not so concealed. Nighttime is generally a time of greater concealment. So for many of us, we can experience a change. We become more selfish and egotistical as the day wears off. 
wears on as we're moving towards the evening and moving towards the night. This is our struggle between the two souls. Now, we learned last week that um, the good thing is, one good thing to say, is as Jews, because we have a specific mission, a special mission in this world, a unique mission, in order for us to be able to complete our mission, even our dark soul has a certain elegance to her. To her. The soul is dark, but it's not completely dark, which means there is some godly light, some godly consciousness that the soul can feel. It's possible for it to bend and yield and do what God wants. It has a greater, not possible. Everybody, every human being is possible to do what, to, to live in accordance to God's will. We're saying it's more naturally inclined. It's a little softer. It's not as resistant. Why? Because it's coming from a different kind of a shell. It's coming, as we mentioned last week, from shells that are not blocking God completely. It's coming from a shell that's called the glowing shell. In the Yechezkel, when he speaks about these, the, the shells when, that are blocking divinity, so it says that there are three very dark shells, husks and blockages, and there is a, there is a shell that's a glowing shell. And the glowing shell means, klipas nogas, means a little light shines through. So example, to understand that a little better, many of us today um, looked up in the sky and we saw something that on the one hand was very exciting, super beautiful, but a lot of people got very scared. What does this mean? We saw this beautiful rainbow. Now right away people say, ah, rainbow, ah, God wants to destroy the world right now and ah, I don't know what. So we're very scared about a rainbow. So the truth is that, okay, of course it says that a rainbow is a negative sign because it shows Hashem made it by the flood, that He's not going to bring a flood. If the world is going to get so dark that I want to destroy the world, I will make a rainbow. But I think it's a misconception to, to believe that when you see a rainbow, it's a bad sign. Seeing a rainbow is not a bad sign. Not, it shouldn't make us sad, it should make us very happy. We should make a blessing joyfully. It's not a bad sign. But what, is, what do we mean? It does say that it's a sign that God is angry and upset. So let's just for one moment look at it. See, a rainbow doesn't mean that at this moment Hashem is angry at the world and that's why He's giving us a rainbow. What it means is that after the flood, what God is saying is, see, because a, a rainbow is a natural phenomenon. It's, it's, it, it will only have a rainbow when it's raining, right? And, and lately, quite a few times when it rained, we had a rainbow. So every time, right, every time it rains, and rain is a good sign. It's a bracha. It's a good sign. So Hashem is giving blessings to the world. Ugh, again, it has to ruin it with a rainbow. Not only didn't we have good weather for a whole week, but at the end of it, God is still angry. Someone told me today. I called me. He says, he says, after all of that, and now we still have to have a rainbow. So the idea is as follows: that um, prior to the flood, when God, cre prior to the flood. Humanity was in a condition. The human beings were in a state where they were able to become so corrupted and so disconnected, so they can go astray from their godly, from, from their godly purpose and mission, from humanity's, humanity's um, mission. 
and um, to the point where they're irreparable. The human being can become so, so corrupted that it's impossible to fix. Now, if human beings become so corrupted they can't be fixed anymore, then there's no reason for them to exist. So then God brought a flood, which means he undid the creation. That's what was so It wasn't just a regular punishment. God said that human beings ought not to exist anymore because there's no reason for them to exist. Obviously, they could not be repaired. Because if they were able to be repaired another way, then Hashem would have given them a chance. It was irreparable. After the flood, the, the human being changed. Today's days, no matter how disconnected and how far it, meaning how lost human beings become, we can always do tshuva and we can always come back. We can never be irreparable after the flood. Why is that? Because the flood was a cleansing. The, 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 the flood was a permanent cleansing in the world and it changed the very environment that we live in. What do we mean by that? That, again, we said earlier, what's the source of all negativity? How is it possible to sin? How is it possible to disregard God? It's possible to disregard God because you don't feel God, you feel yourself. Ego is the root, if there is an I. So that I can inflate, inflate, and inflate, Tola reaches a point when it says, God, I don't even know you, I only know myself, and I do what I want. So if I decide that I need to kill someone, I will do so, because this serves my desire. If I decide I need to steal, or whatever. So the ego is running rampage. That's the source of unholiness. If someone sees themselves as a servant of God, they can't possibly sin. So it's the concealment, it's the blockage that is allowing for ego. Okay? Before the flood, the concealment that was blocking, that was between our psyche and God, the blockage was a very thick blockage. So there wasn't any light coming through. It was a very dense partition. Therefore, the creatures that were created through those partitions were very, very, very dark. Or at least were created in a state where they can fall into such darkness where they can be completely um, disconnect themselves, completely sever their connection to God. After the flood, Hashem, the flood, what it did was it purified the klipa, it purified the shells. The shells are not so dense anymore. So the shells allow a little light to come through. And that means even when someone is an egomaniac and a person is, doesn't want to know of anything but himself all of his life, nevertheless, when, after the flood, what happens? It's not so rigid. The ego is not so tough and so strong. That's why we see that many people that are not such good people when they're doing well, if chas v'shalem, they have certain circumstances and difficulties in their life, they soften up a little bit and they become receptive. And they become receptive towards spirituality, towards holiness. So you see there is a possibility of breaking. The ego can... can there are certain cracks in the ego. Light can come through after the flood. Why? Why is light? Why is light able to come through after the flood? Because the dark, the, 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 the concealment, the klipa is not... So that's why even when human beings go very, very, very far, if God gives a little shake, they will repent. So the, the creation can never leave completely God's domain. That is... And what does, have to, what does that have to do with the rainbow? That's the rainbow. Before, see, everything in the spiritual reflects in the physical. Before the flood, 
before the flood, the reason why there wasn't a rainbow, see, the reason why there wasn't, the reason why there wasn't a, the reason why there wasn't a rainbow before the flood was because, um, if, 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 what causes a rainbow? What creates a rainbow? A rainbow is created when there are clouds, and the, and the clouds are wet, right? There's droplets of, of, of water in the clouds. And the light is shining through. The light is reflecting on those droplets. And that's what's causing that color, right? That's coloring. That's why there are all these colors. Now, if there are very, very, very dense and thick clouds, so then that no light can come through, so you wouldn't have a rainbow. Before the flood, the clouds that were, again, I don't, I don't know the scientific explanation for this, but before the flood, whenever it rained, rain clouds were very, very thick. Because they were very thick, there was no light coming, being reflected, because the light was pushed, didn't, didn't penetrate those clouds at all, so there wasn't a rainbow. After the floods, the clouds are thinner clouds, some light comes through, that's why we have a rainbow. The clouds represent the klipa, the light represents godliness, and godliness after the flood, because today the world is naturally more receptive to divinity. So when we see a rainbow, it's actually a very good sign. It's a sign, and it doesn't mean at that moment. Nothing to do with, it has to do with the general condition of the world. It's a reminder from God that you can always do tshuva, that I'm always there for you, you can always come back for me. So the, the rainbow is not a bad sign. Of course, it reminds us that the, that the once that the world is possible, is possible to corruption and the like, but there is still this always return, the ability to always come back. That's similar to that is the idea, the difference, or the uniqueness of the Jewish animal soul. The Jewish animal soul is coming from a shell that's similar to the clouds of today. The clouds of today allow a little light to come through. So that's why it's not, there isn't such resistance. As opposed to the other clipper, the other shell, which is a very thick shell, I mean, again, relative to after the flood, this too is a lighter clipper. But in compared to the glowing shell, there's less light coming through, more darkness. As a result of more darkness, there is greater ego. Greater ego meaning there's a greater force in a human being that prompts the human to disregard God. But now we have a little bit of a better understanding into the, into the psychology of, of, of the two souls. Now, these two souls are intermeshed one with each other. Sometimes, again, it's, as we're going to learn, you know, even though we're going to discuss, and next week, we're going to begin to dissect the, the souls individually. We're going to start and discuss our godly soul, all the different facets of the godly consciousness so we become a little more familiar with that side of ourselves. And then we're going to take a, a look and, and gain a greater and better understanding in our animal consciousness. But one thing is, even though we discuss them separately, they operate one intermingled in the other. And that's why in our lives, we're constantly feeling both, mixed feelings coming from both these souls. But this is what's causing all this psychological turmoil, because it's two people, complete two different beings living inside of us. And they're both working or trying to completely manifest themselves in us and express themselves. Um, so Bezos Hashem will continue next week. Actually, I spent, this was the a completion of the end of the first chapter. 
And that's Hashem. Next week we begin the second chapter, and that is to understand the nature of our godly soul, where it comes from, and what, what that soul is all about. And now we'll take, open up for some questions. Yeah, there is a sense, there's a certain, they're beyond free will. But they themselves chose to, to move, meaning they worked on it. There is free will by them too, because or else there wouldn't be any purpose to live. But their free will is on a whole different level. It's not a choice between good and bad. They can make choices in good itself. So, reward. <coughs> not the same kind of reward. Because it's a different kind of a struggle. They also have a struggle, but it's in a whole different realm. For example, a tzaddik might have a struggle as follows. On the one hand, he's burning with a desire to engage in prayer. He's in the midst of intense prayer, and he wants to, and he's melting in God's light, when suddenly he realizes that there's someone who needs help. And he must tear himself away from that godly experience to go help another person. Both these are godly. But one is his enjoyment coming from his holy soul. The other one is he has to give up on that enjoyment to do something to help someone else. So here you have that struggle. So it's not a choice between doing something good or bad. It's within good itself. And I guess for the tzaddik, doing the wrong thing would be, would be bad. You know, if he continues his prayer when someone is, needs his help, it's, in that, it's, a, it's a whole different realm but of good and bad. And those are going to be the choices that we're going to live in once the clouds part very soon and we're going to be living in the days of Mashiach. There will still be a Bechira, a choice in life, but there will be that kind of a struggle. There won't be any more. We will not be living anymore in a godless state. That is going to end. Yes. Yeah. 